Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. <clears throat> I didn't add any. I didn't add any um, effect, sound effects or anything. <laughs> he didn't uh, add just... like a slide whistle or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, waga, waga, waga. <laughs> that'd be good. All right. Yeah, that'd be good just to add arbitrarily. <laughs> yeah. Actually, for I was the, thinking about that for too. the Wouldn't mad one. That would actually make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Would you like to start? Sure. Hey everyone, it's Elliot. And Todd, welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar, an ongoing conversation about pop culture and iconic design. They say comic books are our contemporary version of mythology. And that those stories and characters reflect our aspirations and values back to us through their pages. Well, if that's the case, then what did the gizmos and novelties being sold via mail order in those same books represent? See, this small collection of episodes tackles the themes of education, self-improvement, and humor of pitting two popular products against one another to see which will claim the prize of being the better <clears throat> deal. So sneak one of your dad's beers from the garage, dig out the quarters in your piggy bank, and join our conversation as we welcome you back to the bar. All right, Ellie, have you heard that Ben Franklin once said an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. That sounds familiar, but I'm uh, more well acquainted with his other quote, uh, don't believe 90% of what you hear on a podcast. <laughs> that one's probably more accurate anyway. Mm. In the spirit of the first sentiment, we're going to discuss two um, educational products that were found in the pages of comic books for literally decades. Oh yeah, so today we're pitting two family favorites against one another. Sea Monkeys versus the Ant Farm. Oh, yeah. So buckle up. We're about to learn a thing or two. All right, Todd. Speaking of learning a thing or two. Yes? I'm going to hit you with a word that you probably never heard before, and I'm going to ask you if, you if you know what this word means. Are you ready? Okay. All right. All right. Formicarium. Formicarium? Oh, okay, okay. I'll spell it. Okay. Well, can you use it in a sentence? Todd doesn't know what formicarium means. <laughs> that is a good one. Okay. I think it must have something to do with aquariums because of the carrium part. Uh, my guess is, since it's a difficult word uh, that no one's ever heard of, it probably has something to do with researching things in an aquarium. Meh? Mm, yeah. You're dancing around it. Absolutely. Oh, okay. All yeah, right. What yeah, is yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, it's just a really fancy name for what later became known as an ant farm. <laughs> oh, I got it. Yeah. Ant farm Ant farm is so much easier to market. <laughs> it is. Well, especially because uh, the formicarium was from uh, across the pond. It was originally 
uh, a French word, you see. A French uh, scientific blah, blah, word. Blah. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, enchanté. Okay. <laughs> so let me give you a little bit of background on the ant farm beyond its uh, rather prestigious beginnings in Western Europe. Okay. So in the late 1800s, there is a French entomologist named Charles Genet, J-A-N-E-T, and he mm -hmm. decided to take his formicarium and exhibit it in Paris at the Exposition Universelle in the year 1900. All right? That sounded so beautiful the way you said that. Oh, well, thank you. Two years, two years of high school French uh, coming back paying dividends right now. And I do know what an entomologist is. That's a, a person that uh, studies bugs, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right. Uh, just as anyone listening knows that you're bugging me right now when I'm trying to teach you oh, okay, something. Okay, I okay. Need, I, need to, I need to stop being an entomologist and leave you alone. <laughs> That's right. He's a lip-flapping entomologist. <laughs> Genet's invention actually got him a chevalier or knighthood title Ooh, in France's Legion of Honor, right? So this this is good, right? This guy brings mm -hmm. an ant farm. It's 1900, brings an ant farm, shows it to the world. Boom, right? However, being an entomologist, he wasn't the best businessman. So he never applied for any kind of patent. And he never really attempted to market his invention hmm. because he saw it as something scientific. Right. You know, it was really more of a curiosity or for him something that would exist in his lab. Okay, so he never thought he would sell these in any way. Yeah. All right. He invented it, quote unquote, in terms of bringing the ant farm into the world, so to speak. But obviously, it's not how the ant farm got into the back of comic books. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how many comic books this guy ever read. That's right, because he was a chevalier. I'm, I'm not sure you can be a chevalier and then read about Le Batman. <laughs> I'm not I, sure yeah, that that's... Yeah, I think you're right on that. Yeah, I yeah. think there's there's a hard and fast rule in France. Uh -huh. But uh, don't don't quote me on that. I haven't looked up all the requirements. <laughs> so Okay, so, so there's a gap here, right? Yeah, yeah, Because we yeah, know about yeah, ant yeah, farms. Yeah. What happened? Okay. So let's jump ahead a few years to 1929. So we're, we're popping ahead almost three decades. And we will cross back over the pond to our side of the pond here in the States. And there's a guy named Frank Eugene Austin. Okay? Mm -hmm. He was also a scientist. He was an inventor. And he was an engineering professor at Dartmouth College. I've heard of that. You mean college? <laughs> no. Oh, Dartmouth. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I, you know, I don't know what you do in your free time. Okay. Yeah. So this guy made the first commercially available ant farm. Okay. He was a little bit smarter than our French friend, and he received a patent for it on June 16th, 1931. So because obviously only one person can patent something, there's a direct line to this guy. We know this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. However, having said that, I think his bigger contribution is he's the one who put the ground level scenes of stuff like palaces and, yes, farm scenes onto the glass. Shut up. Yeah, so putting a bunch of ants in a, uh, between a couple pieces of glass doesn't make it a farm, right? But he was the one who thought, ah, okay, like we'll put these different scenes. And obviously the farm is the one that's stuck. Right. Right. However, in his patents, so we've talked about how he has a patent. 
But he referred to his ant farm as a quote-unquote educational apparatus and a quote-unquote scenic insect cage. So Hmm. certainly rolls off the tongue a little better than the formicarium. (laughs) However, it's still not an ant farm. Even though he has ants in it, he has the farm scene in it. Right. And even a 1936 article about this thing referred to it as, (laughs) I like this phrase too, an ant palace. Um, So they couldn't couldn't decide if it was going to be a farm or a palace or... It was just this wide range of socioeconomical ants living together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're just kind of hanging out. Yeah, it's sort of just an ant society. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I don't know. That's my word, though. I believe you. (laughs) Okay. So since we're enjoying leapfrogging so much, let's jump ahead again. And this time we're going to go to 1956. And, Todd, this is when, in the lore of the ant farm... Uh, things start to come together, okay? Okay. All right, so buckle up here. A little bit of a slow start so far. Yeah, yeah, until but... Until we get to 56. Yeah, okay. well, yeah, exactly. It's been almost 60 years. <laughs> a guy named Milton Levine uh-huh. goes on a 4th of July picnic at his sister's neighborhood pool. And he's, you know, killing time. He's with his family, eating some grilled food, and he sees a bunch of ants crawling around on an anthill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And wham, this gives him an idea. Because he had collected ants when he was a child. He kept them in mason jars so he could watch them. And uh, he thought, we should make an antarium. <laughs> so going back to your aquarium idea, right? <laughs> okay, so so you're launching all the big words, but I definitely can imagine that antarium is an aquarium of ants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, he I says that when he came up with this idea... He came by it honest because he says, first of all, he didn't know about Austin's invention, which I I believe him because, again, this was mainly meant for science. This guy wasn't a science guy. Um, in fact, he was a toy guy. Oh, okay. So he was the one who came up with the name Ant Farm. Oh, okay, okay. That's how we got to know what it is today. Hey, can I ask you a real quick question about him? Of course. And you may be getting to this, so apologies, but is that the same Milton as Uncle Milton? Yes. Yes. Oh, we will. Ah, yeah, we're going to. It's starting to fall together. Now. Yeah. Yeah. All the pieces are falling into. Okay. We're going to get to all that. We're going to okay, get to okay, all okay. that. Okay. Okay. Please continue. He came by this idea honest. Like I said, he had a background in toys. So after returning from World War II, he forms a partnership with his brother-in-law in 1946. Mm-hmm. They were looking around at what was going on in the world. And we've talked about this before. If you've listened to our episodes on the beats or listened to some of our episodes on pop art, they figured out the baby boom was happening. Mm-hmm. All the returning GIs. And what the little kids like, they like toys. Right. <laughs> so they thought, hey, let's start up a toy company, right? Okay, and Todd, as they said in The Graduate, the future was what? Plastics. Absolutely. Plastics. So now we're starting to get to how the ant farm came to be what we know it as today. Oh, okay. Plastics. Well, who's going to make this thing? These guys are toy guys. They're not plastics guys. However, they found the company that made all the plastic prizes for Cracker Jack. (laughs) 
Whoa, how cool would that be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a company called Nosco, N-O-S-C-O, Plastics. Uh So have you ever heard of, speaking of dubious uh, toys advertised in comic books, do you remember the ad, 100 toy soldiers for a dollar? Do you remember that ad? Of course. Yeah, Yeah, you got to get 100 because you melt them with firecrackers and things like that. (laughs) These guys are the ones who invented that. What? Yeah. So they invented, Milton had Nosco make the 100 toy soldiers for a dollar. So these guys have a track record. So he's figuring out how to make plastic toys on the cheap. He's figuring out how to advertise them through comic books. Okay. Todd, I'm also going to give you some other famous toys that this same, um, I don't want to use, we'll, we'll use the word visionary. I don't want to use genius, okay. right. but well, okay. this, this guy right. was looking down the road and figured some things out. You've probably heard of the potato gun. Uh, of course. Yep. Do you remember when you could buy toy shrunken heads? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you... Uh, obviously decoration, you hung them from your mirror or something, right? Yeah, kind of like fuzzy dice. And then do you remember balloon animals? (laughs) You get balloon animals. So these guys invented all of those things prior to bringing the ant farm to market. Wow. So they have a track record. So they they figured some things out, right? Mm -hmm. So unlike the one guy who never got a patent for it, the other guy who did get the patent for it but then never decided to market it. <laughs> mm-hmm. These guys were hitting the ground running with the ant farm, right? So thank goodness for 4th of July picnics. <laughs> That's right, right. Okay, so back to the ant farm itself. So we have some pictures of ant farms on our episode page. For anybody who, who when we just use that phrase, it doesn't immediately pop in your head what it is. The green plastic base, the clear top, the green horizon line with the farm scene and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The original ant farms were sold for a buck twenty-nine. And Todd, if you know anything, and listeners, if you know anything, I always try to figure out what that means in today's dollars. Okay. Is it a bargain? Like, was a buck twenty-nine a bargain? Right. right. Um, I will leave that up to you. That would be about $14.56 today. Wow. I, I mean, I think that was pretty good. Yeah, maybe. I don't I, I don't know if I would buy an ant farm for that much, but that I may have had the experience of it being cheaper. So no. I'm, I mean, my experience is jaded. Yeah. So it was six inches by nine inches. All right. So it was a little bit, you know, smaller than probably what we think. Now, here was the biggest problem. Ants are animals. Ants are living things. Yeah. And these ant farms would either go through the mail or maybe they would, in some cases, be sold in stores. But you didn't know how long they were going to be on the shelf. So mm-hmm. it didn't come with any ants. Uh. So this was the, the challenge, right? Because kids would get excited. They would go and they would get this, this ant farm. They would unbox it, had everything in it to be successful. Except the ants. <laughs> <laughs> Except the title yes, of the product. Yes, yes. So, yeah, you basically got the farm. I don't think that's where the phrase bought the farm came from. but <laughs> uh, Yeah. I think I'd like to order a $14.56 blank farm, please. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> um, so what happened was there was a coupon inside the kit. And then the kid had to mail the coupon back to the company And then they would send along 25 ants, which arrived in a vial a few weeks 
later. All right. But this is something interesting I found out. They could only legally ship worker ants. So if you think about insects, we're probably much more familiar with bees. And now there's a yeah. queen bee, yeah. and then there's the worker bees that support the queen. Well, ants work the same way. Um, but mm-hmm. queens, apparently, to this day, in fact, can't be shipped across state lines because it has to do with the the ecology. You know, if that queen were to get out, it could screw some stuff up if it were a non-native species, I guess. Hmm. As a result of this, ants, just like every other living thing, have a certain lifespan. Right. So the workers essentially, uh, for lack of a better phrase, work themselves to death, and then they die after one to three months. If they last over 90 days, man, you're in bonus time. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think they ever, like, ask each other, the hell are we working for? There's no queen here. Like, right. What, I, think, like, I think like, they were Joe, digging we escape tunnels. You know, I think it was very Shawshank oh. Redemption. Maybe instead of oh, a farm, okay. the, the scene should be of a prison yard. <laughs> ant, ant prison. Yeah. yeah. So ant penitentiary. get this. You mentioned Uncle Milton, right? Yes. Okay. So based on the ant farm's success, he renamed his company Uncle Milton Toys. And this was a great quote I dug up. Uh, Pun intended, Todd. (laughs) With all these ants, I must be an uncle. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the obvious question is... Where'd he get all these ants? <laughs> right, right. Was he just leaving like donuts out in his Yeah, yeah. Just like <laughs> the well, leave a donut out the, one day and then you've Uncle got a Milton's thousand toys and hoping for the best. All right. So this is yeah. you'll you'll love this. This is this is great. Okay. So yeah. In the beginning they have this plastics company making the ant farms, but yeah, there's just one problem. They they have to figure out where to get some ants, right? So <laughs> this is so funny. So they take out ads in local newspapers, and the headline is "Ants Wanted." <laughs> They're offering a penny per ant, right? Now, again, uh-huh. I I assume that the queens would be buried so far and never come out that that yeah. wasn't something they worried about. I don't know how you tell them apart. But I guess, you know, they stayed in business, so whatever it was, it worked. All right. So ants wanted. So there's ants everywhere. You know, there are ants by his sister's pool, right? So people can easily find ants. So he was deluged by people holding jars filled with ants. (laughs) So they're coming in. (laughs) So one guy comes in, and he has an enormous container, and he wants $50. (laughs) And so we know that a, a buck 29 translated into roughly $14.50. So $50 was no small amount of money back then, right? And so Milton says, well, how do I know that that there's 5,000 ants in there, so I should pay you 50 bucks? The guy got so upset, he dumped the entire container on Milton's desk and said, (laughs) you count them, and then he stomped out. (laughs) So he just gave them away? (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's what I thought. I was like, man, you just... You know, all your hard work was for naught. Um, They're free-range ants at that <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah, at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think uh, maybe the guy was secretly an exterminator. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay, Todd. So they say timing is everything, right? Mm-hmm. So Milton sold thousands of ant farms a week once he began to advertise on television. Mm. This is the other thing after World War II and into the 1950s was the advent and crazy growth of television which you and i have talked about 
before. What were the shows that were moving the ant farms? Um, Merv Griffin's show, Johnny Carson's Mm -hmm. show. Okay, you'll love this. We're always uh, excited about music and pop culture. Milton made an executive ant farm for American Bandstand's host, Dick Clark. What? (laughs) All right, and then get this. He explained the ants' daily routine to Sherry Lewis Uh and her popular puppet Lamb Chop. Do you remember Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop? (laughs) Yes. Oh, my goodness. He also had a son, and his son uh, runs the business today. Okay, so his son gets in on the act. So his dad books him on after-school children's TV shows so he can hawk the family product. And get this, they even built a 12-foot plexiglass-walled ant farm for the 1964 New York World's Fair and a walkthrough version for the 1962 World's Fair in Seattle. Does that seem familiar? It does. Imagine how cool that was because that was the same World's Fair that the Union 76 ball sign premiered. Yep, yep. And we have an episode about that, right? We do. But I don't think ants figure into it at all. Well, no, we didn't talk about the ant farm there. But, um, dear listener, go back and listen to episode 10 if you want to hear a little more about 1962's World's Fair. So... Milton, he lived, you know, in spite of the ant infestation, (laughs) he lived a long time. He died in 2011 at age 97. Wow. Yeah. And by then, over 20 million ant farms had been sold. And the clip at the end of his life was about 30,000 sales per month. In 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So... I guess comic book advertising works, right? Or at least when you also push it on the TV. You can still find ant farms today for about 20 bucks. And so inflation has sort of dug its talons a little bit into it because it is a little bit higher than that $14.56 figure I quoted earlier. You know, Todd, I still think it's a great deal. And one innovation now is um, you can actually connect multiple ant farms together they have little ports if you will on the sides and you can get this like round tubing so you can make a whole ant i don't know city i guess like an ant planned unit development yeah yeah very much so it's it's kind of like a minneapolis in the winter time with all the skywalks (laughs) (laughs) well that would be cool would (laughs) yeah all right so this kind of reminds me uh do you remember our horror movie poster episode one of the ones that we talked about was a giant tarantula. So yeah. I can only imagine like um, what that would have been like with uh, all the ants. And I happen to know there's a great sci-fi B-movie uh, from, uh, I don't know, sometime in the 50s, middle 50s, let's say, called Them. Mm-hmm. And that was about giant irradiated ants from nuclear testing terrorizing people. So <laughs> I think that's where the idea came from. They never made an ant cooling tower or anything right no but you know given the timing um of the mid 50s when the ant farms really began to hit maybe that was a little bit of inspiration as well yeah makes sense you know what todd enough with the ants i could talk about ants all day but with all my all my jawing i've i've gotten i've gotten a little bit thirsty and i'm wondering if you might be able to help me out 
Mm-hmm. Okay, something something sweet and fruity that uh, maybe our insect friends might enjoy? It's like you're reading my mind. <sighs> what, what a complicated book that is. We can come back in just a minute and learn a ton, a ton about everybody's favorite pet besides ants. I would say they're even smaller than ants, maybe. They are, yeah. Sea monkeys. All right, we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional Professional Book Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading! Hi, we want to take a moment to mention that if you're enjoying this episode, we have an archive of topics ranging from the Olympics to movie posters. Think Ghostbusters. Iconic images. Think Bigfoot. Punk music. The Ramones. Saturday morning cartoons. The Pink Panther. And failed products like OK Soda. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com for full episode notes and visuals the latest blog content, and to sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Find the links on our website or search using the phrase, Two Designers Walk Into a Bar. Most importantly, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people like you find podcasts like this. And tell a friend about us. Send them a link to our podcast from your listening platform of choice. And if you're inclined, buy our merchandise. Stickers, coasters, magnets, t-shirts. We're designers. We make good stuff, and it helps support the show. Get in touch. Use the contact form on our website or send an email to hello at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. We read every message we get. Honest. And we're available for speaking gigs. Email us to learn more. Okay, now back to the bar. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. So it's so great that you started talking about ant farms because that happens to be the inspiration for another live novelty, sea monkeys. Oh, boy. Yeah. What one person can invent, another person can, quote unquote, be inspired by, shall we say. Right. Right. In my research, I didn't hear anything about sea monkeys. So was this wasn't the same person, was it? No, no, oh, no, okay. it wasn't. And Ant Farms came along ahead, of course. Um, now, uh, Harold von Braunhut, and that's B-R-A-U-N-H-U-T, that's not his birth name. Mm. We'll get to that in a second. Brought us a bunch of novelties, kind of like Uncle Milton. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was actually born in 1926 in Memphis to a Jewish family and raised in New York City. So to say he had a colorful career 
is really a major understatement. Okay. I mean, this guy, when you think of, I don't know, let's just define the word huckster here. Um, he was an aspiring magician. Uh-huh. He was a tinkerer. He managed the careers of a stunt diver who happened to dive off the Flatiron Building into a kiddie pool. I know. Let that settle for a second. And, of course, you probably heard of the amazing Dunninger. One of the most famous mind readers of the 20th century, according to Harold Braun Bernhut. <laughs> okay, wow. I know you want to know more about the guy diving in the kiddie pool, but we have no time for that today. So I guess maybe his uh, kiddie pool experience with water is what got him in the sea monkeys? <laughs> yeah, no. Oh. As you told us earlier, Ant farms were super popular, and Harold was thinking how to outdo those, and he happened to walk into a pet store in 1957, saw a tank of brine shrimp that's used for fish food. What he saw, though, was not just throwaway fish food, but a more creative use of these tiny crustaceans, and they could be dried and still living by some weird way. Hmm. So he began experimenting how to preserve and reanimate them in his little tiny lab because, you know, they were little tiny living creatures. <laughs> and in 1960, he introduced sea monkeys to the world uh, under the title of Instant Life. Mm. Hey, we should think about asking the bartender to name a drink in the bar Instant Life. Hmm. Okay, but we'll we'll leave out the sea monkeys. Uh, yeah, yeah. So salty. Yeah, so freeze-dried sea monkeys, right? They're in some form of suspended animation. But I'm still un- trying to figure out the monkey part, because aren't they shrimp? You just said crustaceans. Yeah, they are shrimp. And um, they got the title sea monkeys because... If you look at them magnified, they have little tails when they're born. And um, they look like just sort of one-cell amoebas with tails on them <laughs> uh, if, when blown up. Okay. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about science because yes, this is yes. the education episode here. Sea monkeys exist, and I'll go slow here, uh-huh. because of a highly guarded, patented hocus-pocus involving osmosis and controlled pH fluctuation and chemical formulations. And... As you noted, yeah, they're hybrid brine shrimp eggs immersed in a secret medium. Hmm. And the eggs remain in sort of this suspended animation until they're poured into water and mixed with the this formula, the powder that you add to the water, and that reanimates them. And then they hatch. The eggs hatch uh, immediately after that. Crazy. Okay. So... <laughs> This guy has his tiny lab. Instant life, indeed. Okay, so it doesn't sound like... With the ant farm, you sort of had the idea pass through the hands of a couple people who are legitimate scientists. Right, right. So how did Von Braunhut figure this out? What insight did he have? Okay, okay. Um, this is a little bit of tidbit. So this is uh, this will be interesting. Uh, we already talked about how ant farms kind of inspired him to see what he could do with another living creature. So actually, we wouldn't be sitting here in the bar talking about sea monkeys if it wasn't for super balls and hula hoops uh, and frisbees. You know why? Oh, so this guy, just like our friend Uncle Milton, he had a little bit of a track record in the toy space, it sounds like. 
Well, no, he had nothing to do with those oh. world-renowned toys. Okay. So back in 1962, Whammo was the 800-pound gorilla in the toy space. Mm. And it was mm-hmm. because of success with the products like the Frisbee and the Super Bowl and the Hula Hoop. So thinking that they had nailed the next massive toy hit, they introduced this thing called Instant Fish. Okay. And these were tiny killifish. Um, that they discovered in Africa, uh, they could survive without water for like long periods of time. And then when water is added, they're reanimated and hatch and they grow into a full blown fish, not a, you know, microscopic bug looking thing. <laughs> um, you're throwing a lot of animals at me. Kill okay, fish, okay. 800 pound gorilla, <laughs> a little bit of a <laughs> yeah, size sorry, issue you here. <laughs> 800 pound gorillas did not hatch after you poured water on them. No, they probably would just get angry and smash things up. Right, right, right. So Whammo marketed instant fish, taking the 1962 New York Toy Fair by storm. Mm. They got millions of orders because of that. Only problem eh, was that killifish weren't doing the nasty enough. <laughs> so, they, you know, Kenny G hadn't started recording yet, probably, so they couldn't be put in the mood. That's right. That's right. So the problem is Whammo couldn't get enough eggs uh, in in a fast enough time to match the demand. And they had to end up issuing millions of dollars in refunds. <laughs> they didn't have a guy coming in with 5,000 eggs, dumping them on someone's desk. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, counting them shrimps. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so on the hills of that massive marketing debacle uh, comes... Harold von Braunhut uh, with his dried aquatic life right on the heels of it. So all he got at that time was a bunch of slamming doors <laughs> in his sure. face. No retailer wanted to touch a product that involved instant life anymore. So he decided to market the product direct to kids. Uh, and that was how he came across putting it into the back of comic books. Yeah, so without the disappointing instant fish um we wouldn't know about these ads really so he's smart right yeah so if the parents remember this just leapfrog the parents and go directly to the kids the kids don't know about the instant life thing all they know is they want fun things like sea monkeys yeah 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 they want little toy things yeah and so as you already pointed out they're tiny little baby brine shrimp Mm -hmm. and and they grow you know they 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 have kind of a fragile life but they they can grow i actually had sea monkeys that lived for two years (laughs) and the only thing that took them out was uh being dumped down the toilet so they do grow yeah yeah so okay and i think what is most well known these things were represented in these great comic book ads oh yeah these little flecks these little tiny things that you could start to see, uh, they required some imagination to mm-hmm. actually sort of build the, um, the mythology around sea monkeys. And luckily, the folks at Sea Monkey HQ gave us these great, great ads. So to read one, um, it says, <clears throat> Ahem, enter the wonderful world of amazing live sea monkeys and so eager to please they can even be trained so whoa 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 whoa, whoa. hold on pump the brakes for a second okay how can these things be trained well they follow light 
So uh, you could have a flashlight, and they would be like, what's that, a flashlight? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they really said that, but they just went to oh, the light. Oh, yeah, you didn't have little, like, bubbles that, that made little sounds when they hit the surface. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. <sighs> trained. I think that's a little bit of a stretch. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we would all agree that these these great sea monkey ads, they were all a little bit of a stretch in the representation. You know, as just I'm sure everyone has seen, but to recall, they were like these bulbous belly, kind of putty-colored, like silly putty-colored, actually. They had three prongs on their heads. And, of course, um, Mom, Sea Monkey, she had blonde hair and she wore makeup um, because she was fancy. And then they would play catch and leapfrog and just, you know, frolic around. Yeah, yeah. So they sounded like the the Kennedy family of the of the underwater realm, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) That's right. That's that's what they did. Uh, Of course, the real um, Sea Monkeys look nothing like that because, uh, you know, kids were using their imagination and being fed these drawings and one of my favorite things that i saw and we're going to post this on one of the ads um they even used this life drawing i say that in quotation marks of course the copy reads here's proof they're real life drawings made from actual photos <laughs> and it was like it was like a bug looking thing right that was you know that was gigantic in the drawing because it's but it was authentic because someone drew it. <laughs> it's kind of like the courtroom sketch of <laughs> animal drawings or something. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it was. Exactly what <laughs> so, it was. okay. So it's uh, an illustration. Um, these kids are being asked to use their imagination in multiple ways, apparently. So uh, maybe fact-based, but also probably a little misleading, right? Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, I think... Um... I think misleading is is generous. And and speaking of, um, this is where the story gets a little bit of drama. If we were in, if this were Law and Order, there would be that thump boom music. Okay, right this is uh, the twist. So, yeah, yeah, we're not going to hang on this very much because because um, I don't want to talk about it. But anyway, let me just give you a real quick backstory. Harold Bronhut, he had actually added the Vaughn to his name in the 1950s. You know, I said he was born into a Jewish family. Yeah. And he did that to distance himself from his Jewish family and unfortunately align himself with white supremacist groups like the Aryan Nations and even buying weapons for the Klan. So how's that a turn? Yikes. Yeah, slightly less uh, bubbly, shall we say, than the Sea Monkeys. Okay, so did he admit to this? Like, how did you find out this information okay so there's a lot online and um there's just way too much to unravel here and there's plenty of evidence he denied it but there's plenty of evidence and the proof goes so deep and dark we'll post some articles for our readers to decide but it's just crazy that this is the same guy that sold billions of these tiny little you know creatures these these tiny little shrimp and that brought joy to so many generations that generated the fan sites of sea monkeys. There was even a television series in the 80s, I think, late 80s, yeah, of wow. sea monkeys. And here's an interesting little, you know, how you're going to tie some pop culture things together. Okay. One of the stars of the TV series 
uh, a guy that played one of the three sea monkeys on the show. Uh, it was a guy named Sean Whalen. And the name may not sound familiar. He's an actor. And he actually, do you remember the, uh, the Got Milk ad? The Aaron Burr, the very first one that captivated mm -hmm. everybody? Yeah, the guy was eating peanut butter and no one could understand. Yes, yeah. yeah. So that was Sean Whalen who was eating peanut butter and kept going, oh! Couldn't answer <laughs> the, okay. the, the call. So, so yeah, so many things. He had a career after the Sea Monkeys TV show, for instance. How about that? All the milk he could drink. That's right. So, in addition, there were action figures, which I'll post pictures of on uh, the episode page. There was even a video game. And check this out. Even astronaut John Glenn took 400 million Sea Monkeys into space with him in 1998. About that. I bet they didn't set those free up there either. So did someone just sneak those into his luggage, or did he do it on purpose as a science experiment? I don't think you can hide 400 million sea monkeys, can you? Uh, probably not. All right. Okay. So, knowing what you know now, yeah. which one of these would you buy today? Huh. Um, you know, people might think, Todd, that I'm being a little bit biased, mm -hmm. but... I don't have firsthand knowledge of sea monkeys. My brother had them. I did not have mm -hmm. them. Um, and yeah, I remember them fluttering around and it kind of became a, a, a little bit of a, almost like a water filled paperweight. <laughs> yeah, you know, there wasn't yeah, a lot yeah, basically. going on, right? You really needed a magnifying glass and the water was always like murky and a little bit cloudy and stuff. Like it right, was never, right. cause you know, the shrimp, would be in there and then you i don't know you had to feed them and stuff occasionally didn't yeah. you and yeah and there's shrimp poop floating around yeah yeah sea yeah so poop. it really really took a lot of work whereas mm -hmm. something like an ant farm you could kind of see what was going on much more easily um mm -hmm. and also there was you know the farm scene there was no like monkey bars or anything for the sea monkeys to play on <laughs> so i think in the grand scheme of things I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with, I'm gonna stick with the ant farm, because I, yeah. I can always get more ants. I can always find more ants. Now, so right. after that ninety days, I'll just you know, go to a picnic or something, or drop a candy bar or something, and boom, I can get all the ants I want. Yeah, there you go, there you go. It's uh, that's the gift that keeps on giving. You can't just go into the ocean and get a cup full of baby sea monkeys, right? Right. Well, what about you? Well. So uh, I've had both um, because, uh, you know, I was super wealthy, so I could afford <laughs> right. both. Right, your animal uh, kingdom portfolio. <laughs> I was, yeah, yeah. I kept exotic animals. Um, and, you know, I, I enjoyed both. Actually, sea monkeys lasted longer, as you noted. Um, but knowing what I know about the inventor, I just don't think I could, I would buy them now. I, I think... I mean, I enjoyed both, um, but I th I think I would I would I would err on the same side as you. I would go with uh, the ant farm because still fascinating to watch and practical, as you said. You can find more ants, but sea monkeys are cool. You know, like 
I, I love the, the ads, and, you know, there's a lot of coolness that goes along with sea monkeys. Yeah, the ads were certainly more fantastical with sea monkeys than with an ant farm. Uh, it's not mm -hmm, like they mm -hmm. showed the ants, you know, driving small tractors or <laughs> something like that. That would be so cool. That, would, that, that actually they, would be great if you could buy an If ant they wore, tractor. like, little ant overalls and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, may, maybe that's what we need to do if this podcast thing doesn't work out we could get in the business of making ant tractors and ant overalls yeah for little ant tiny little tiny ant overalls and, yeah and yeah ant tractors and ant plows i think little the lesson is ones. we just need to find the company currently making the cracker jack prizes and give them a call <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of uh, communication giving someone a call or writing someone an email listeners we would love to know which choice you would prefer mm -hmm. or is there even another uh educational quote-unquote toy shall we say that maybe we overlooked is there something else there's that you would bunches choose? of them oh right? yes i would argue any one that you ordered regardless it will provide some sort of learning experience even if that's <laughs> uh becoming acquainted with the swindle <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would teach you to not buy that thing again. <laughs> exactly. Hey, uh, Todd. Yes. Speaking of a swindle, um, the drink that you were so kind to get me a little bit ago has uh, run a little bit low. And I'm wondering if you could maybe dip into the wallet and looking at your sea monkey fund... <laughs> Maybe pull out a couple extra dollars and uh, transfer that money over into Elliot's bar tab fund. See, I know whenever you start a sentence with, hey, speaking of, uh -huh. blank, 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 that I'm going to get the swindle. But, mm. all righty. Let's leave for now and uh, hope you enjoyed the beginning of this little mini series and we have some more fun coming up next. We do. I think we can give people a peek behind the curtain. Okay. So, this theme was education. Yeah. And the next one is going to be self-improvement. Yes. Yes. And uh, I bet, listeners, you could guess at least one of the uh, things we're going to be talking about. If you have an idea, shoot us a DM or uh, uh, send us a comment. We'd love to hear your, your guesses. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye. I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show 
or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.